pitch for a job. No, I think mm. so my brother has a theory about my brother. I've also had feedback from my brother who loves being mentioned on the podcast. <laughs> there we go. Tick. Of course. <laughs> so uh, that that one's done. So my brother, who is incredibly vain and self-centered, uh, where does he get? He lives Sorry. in Lisbon, near <laughs> oh, your place in Portugal. Really? Yeah. Well, about two and a half hours away. You should be friends. So, oh, he lives around the corner. I live in Manchester. Where does he live? London. <laughs> <laughs> Portugal's quite a big place, you do realise, don't you? Lisbon's not, not next that, door to that big a place, is it? No, I know it's not next it door, but quite it's closer than Manchester, isn't it, Chin? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go on, carry on. Uh, so my brother has a theory about Friends, which is that Friends, the comedy series, is responsible for all of the modern ills of society. I agree with him. I like him more than you. What sort of evidence does so he, he have for this? So he thinks that Friends convinced people to be really... Well, so there's, there's, the, there's the structural problem in Friends, which is that the only like intelligent one is mocked mercilessly <laughs> all the time. So like, like me in this podcast, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I see, yeah. That's the conclusion Ross. I immediately You're the Ross character. You're the Ross. Do you also like dinosaurs? <laughs> Yes. Or just, Love just look like one. Love them. <laughs> he is useless with women. Tri- oh, well, that is true. Yes, yes, yes. Triceratops. Go on, but there's, a, there's a great... I can't remember what it was on Medium or something. I read a piece about that. That if you if you think about it, like, so Phoebe's like a masseuse, basically unemployed. Rachel works in a shop. Ross has got a really good... Ross is a professor. Like, they should, all, they should all respect Ross. They should, they should really want to be friends with Ross, but they hate him and they think he's boring. Mm. And then my brother's theory is that... Uh, it taught everybody to be really neurotic and it encouraged people to, to think of themselves as being deeply flawed and that's bad. That's Robert, that's Robert Smith's theory about friends. I feel like friends and particularly Ross is my life because mm. I've been mercilessly mocked for attempting to be intelligent throughout I've my whole life. You. Have well, you? no, you're about the only person who doesn't. I think you I still get it now, even now. I don't mock, don't I? This is no, a safe, I, this this is is my a safe place. place. <laughs> I'm actually surprised by the level that of respect is, you get in most places. Yeah, that is true, Steve. It, yeah. it may well be yeah. that you're surprised in comparison to what I actually am capable of. He's generally treated with uh, quite a lot of deference at the moment. I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would imagine so. Well, let's spend the next half an hour ruining that perception. Fear, I would think. Fear? Oh, yeah, yeah. Feared by my contemporaries, respected by my enemies. I would say so, yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that off the top of my head so I can't be that bad is that on your business card <laughs> it should be no it's just a black and white moody picture of me like on everyone else's business card you have a picture of yourself on your business yes, card yes looking well you know when you're a presenter you need to kind of you market yourself on your ability to look presentable I don't have as you were cards. saying about uh, friends uh, encouraging people <laughs> neurotic <laughs> I just think friends is awful characters who aren't very funny I didn't really look any deeper than that it's just a dreadful programme hello again you are listening to set piece menu everyone the podcast where four friends talk about football over food if it was six friends it would be a, a very popular 1990s American sitcom and Chinch would hate us today we are being hosted by Steve well a shell of a Steve owing to the yeah. fact that he's had very little sleep he has prioritised the podcast over being anything like a good father today. Uh, but we have all helped share the burden. Cinnamon swells from Rory. Pano chocolate from Steve. Fruit from Steve. Coffee from Steve. Tea, tea, from tea from Steve. Yeah, we'll just wait until it's my turn next week. Just wait for next week. We are waiting for next week. Are you going to provide mm. us with something equally as special? I say me. It might well be somebody else doing uh, yes. the providing, but I will take all the credit to as that. usual. Two things have happened since we last spoke. The first is that Roy has been in the Yorkshire Dales. I have, yes. Almost exclusively for the last few days. That's not true. I spent a week there, but there is no signal at all. I had to, I had to send an email to the office. I had to drive somewhere to get, not even 3G, I had E. You know, when it's oh. in between GPRS and 3G. <laughs> e. I had E. I don't know what that means. I had E. Is that what you need to survive a week in the Dales? And E is the worst one. E is the worst type of signal because you think you've got it proper you signal, whereas you don't. It's terrible. It's nothing. Uh, the second thing that has happened is that a movement has started 
the hashtag AskChinch is oh, now... Oh, I thought you talked about the other move, but now I haven't started. <laughs> the hashtag AskChinch is sweeping the internet. We are building a portfolio of questions for Chinch. Do keep them coming. Uh, we are at Set Piece Menu on Twitter. Later on, mm. in the absence of a Chinch soccer story, because he spent the last wee while in Portugal sunning himself and failing to actually engage his brain, we will... Ask the first of those questions. Am I going to ask? Am I going to know what I'm going to be asked? Absolutely no. not. It's blind. It's going to be quick no. fire as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, against no answers. Clock. Or against the clock. Yeah. Mm. Quick fire. Back to that movement you were having problems with. That's when I was asked to go on question of sport and declined. This, this is the reason why. <laughs> you declined to go on question of sport? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. How big time is that? No, it's not at all because I was a frightened little boy. <laughs> How old were you? Eight. 28. <laughs> what, what are you playing there? Since you on. Well, why would I get asked on question of sport if I wasn't playing? Did you, well, you should have been asked now. No one's going to ask me now. You oh, could be a captain now. You're stupid if it's had me on the podcast. No one's going to put me on national Who's television. On no, sport, no. Phil Tufflin and Matt, Matt Dawson. Dawson yeah. Uh, you could be the Phil I think Tuffle. it was the Billy Beaumont, Willie Carson era. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are this foursome, three of whom I, Hugh Ferris, have already mentioned. Uh, Steve Wyeth is a commentator for BT Sports. Rory Smith is a writer for the New York Times. And Andy Hinchcliffe is a pundit for Sky Sports and played for England more times than Billy Elliot, both the fictional ballet dancer and the Sunderland winger from the <laughs> 1950s. So that's something at least. On each edition of Set Piece Many, the four of us chat about just one footballing subject, throwing it around like a mouthful of a cinnamon swirl and today we will discuss this is defending a lost art the Champions League last 16 the best that club football can offer has seen some frankly appalling defending uh, so far after eight games four nights of Champions League action over the last couple of weeks 34 goals have been conceded now normally you'd say 34 goals have been scored that's absolutely brilliant but the, the defending has not been good as a defender and I'm pointing at you Andy Hinchcliffe because apparently that's what you were that's the greatest compliment you've ever paid me at least the defending has genuinely been shocking hasn't yes. it yes but we have to look at the role of defenders now I keep going back to my time and saying well back 20 years ago we played 4-4-2 against 4-4-2 so as a fullback I played against a winger now fullbacks don't play against wingers anymore because teams play 4-2-3-1 centre halves don't play against two centre forwards anymore they play against a, a roving centre forward or a, not a big physical centre forward so what the, the job of a centre half and a fullback has completely changed over the last year and I think fullbacks are obviously then tempted to be wide players forward players more than defenders centre halves are got more time on the ball so we're expected to play out from the back like John Stones and stuff so the actual art the actual job of, of defending against somebody has changed because they're not defending against anybody because the shape of the game has changed I think the other relevant factor that you have to forgive is and there's, there's loads more to it mm. but the rule changes the rule changes have basically every with every little change that's made it makes defending a harder thing to do it makes it basically impossible like the softening of the offside rule for example well I'd, offside's a whole other thing <laughs> or well, maybe a whole other podcast it could be the <laughs> no it the, main, the main one is if you look at tackles mm -hmm. so you now get sent off as far as I can tell potentially certainly in the Premier League for a ta one-footed tackle what I think of as a one-footed tackle if you leave the ground and, and you're get the ball, show, you yeah. can still be sent off it's become much much harder for defenders to do their job and I think that that is it's not the only thing mm. but that's a massively relevant factor that we've always felt that the Hugh says you know there's loads of goals that's a good thing there was an Italian manager who's not a Rido Sacchi I always thought it was a Rido Sacchi it's not it's someone older than that whose name I've now forgotten it's annoying me who said that the perfect game ends nil nil 
and I think there's an element of truth in that if everyone does their job perfectly the game ends nil nil mm. so a goalless game isn't always a bad game I really hate this thing where yeah. we're told oh, you won't have enjoyed this very much on, on BT Sky don't do it thank, thank you thank you for that <laughs> the last game of match of the day what Sky don't show goalless games no but there's this thing like if you <laughs> we just don't have game, goalless games always tremendous game, commentators always say not you Steve obviously not you no. always say it's been a bit of a disappointing game you sort of think well don't tell me that I don't enjoy goalless football. I might like rain. Do you know what I mean? Some people like it when it's raining. <laughs> no, we've we're seen, all, we're we, all different. We've seen some bad games with lots of goals yeah. in over the last couple. I'd of rather months. rather watch a. a, a re- this sounds really sort of deliberately hipsterish, but I'd rather watch like a, a mm-hmm. really high quality nil nil than a chaos. I once saw Spurs beat Reading seven four. It was awful. It was no, it was Reading and Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah. No, that was the week before. Oh right, okay. So the, I always remember the Reading Portsmouth game that was that was seven four was. Awful! It was a terrible game, and and literally, I think it was only third or fourth on match of the day. No, it was, it was it, well, it, it was, was first, but it was almost like reluctantly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like Pep said about Swansea Palace, the five-four, and he, you could tell he did it with a slight sneer on his face. But he basically said, five-four, eight goals from set pieces. What do you want? Like that's not that's goals don't equal entertainment. Is yeah. all I'm saying. But uh, I think what we have lost is. Because, because of that emphasis towards attacking, people think we want to see more goals. We've lost the idea that actually defending, if defending done well, is great to watch. Also, the way that attackers play act as well and, and know that defenders can't make challenges. Yeah. You see, I think Jamie Vardy's a, <clears throat> a classic example of the way that he'll run at a defender, move the ball out of the way, and then run into the defender and say, I've been fouled. When he hasn't been fouled, but he's making it look like he's been fouled. So as a defender, you're saying, well, you're not being honest with me. I'm trying to win the ball off you. If you're better than me and you get past me, you've beaten me. That's how it is. But So just play the game honestly. Don't try and cheat your way to things and make it look like defenders can't defend when they can, but you're not allowing them to actually try and get the better of you. I think a lot of centre-forwards play that game now. I take the point that the rule changes and the fact that you know the game is not as physical as it was counts against defenders more so than it does attackers but but have defenders failed to evolve in that regard because I'm sure when you were playing Andy you know you had that opportunity to put a reducer in on a winger and that yeah. perhaps would have stifled his enthusiasm to run at you again yeah. now of course you know the modern day fullback can't do that no. but does that not mean that defenders need to defend differently absolutely well, what they do I talk about it all the time the appreciation of the game for defenders has to change because if you're not up against somebody which normally keeps you sharp if you're a fullback up against a winger I'm on my toes because you might be getting the ball and taking me on if that's not happening I want no one to mark what else can I be dealing with so you have to appreciate movement off the ball and that's what the 4-2-3-1 system is you get attacking midfielders making good movement off the ball and you see it all the time with, with fullbacks and centre-halves watching the ball and suddenly somebody be in behind them and they'll think oh my god how's he got in there Aguero's a master at getting away from defenders and getting in behind them but it's because the defenders aren't appreciating the game that's around them if they've got no one to mark yeah. the danger is where that ball is going to end up so then you have to understand where the space is so why is it a difficulty for defenders to adapt to a new way of playing when in fact over the last what seven or eight years yeah, it's been, yeah. everybody else has managed to adapt and play this incredible attacking football and find different spaces and find different ways of playing and maybe playing in new positions that, yeah. that have been created. Why, why well, is it the way can't do if the If this same. is the way you're going to play and the opposition are going to play, surely your role, is, if, you, if you call it a back four, isn't really that anymore, is it? But surely the defenders have to be trained to appreciate what is going. So you work on the training field about saying, well, if the ball's over there and there's no pressure on the ball and the centre forward you're supposedly marking makes a move over here, where is the da- do you not work on saying, well, actually, the danger isn't the ball. The danger is where the ball ends up. So if you're watching the ball, you're in big trouble. So surely you train to actually defend differently rather than man against man. You 
actually then have to appreciate the game. So you're, you're tra- but then you see it, I see it in the Premier League, see it in the Championship a lot because again, maybe once you step out of the Premier League, you think, well, mentally the players might not be as sharp. You see it in the Premier League week after week after week, even experienced defenders, when they get lazy or when they just think, well, there's no real problem here, they, they watch the ball. And as soon as they do that, top class centre forwards or wide players cause you a problem. Well, that's interesting because I, I wonder whether coaching of defending hasn't become at times it doesn't look like it's exactly it looks like they they haven't been helped yeah exactly there's coaching of attacking and then Mm. maybe maybe that they're still coaching to an extent as though we everything is man against man it's 4-4-2 it's everyone's everyone's matched up Mm. the other thing is that and this fascinates me as a player if you're if you've already always done one thing from when you were a kid that you were taught to do one thing as a kid Mm -hmm. how much work on the training ground do you have to do realistically to overcome what has become a sort of inbuilt instinct. Well, the, the, surely the coaches would see you, you make one mistake like that. If you're a fullback and the, the guy and you're watching the ball and the winger or the wide player up against makes a run on your inside shoulder, which tends to happen, gets in between you and a centre half, gets in on goal and scores. Once that happens once, surely as your coach you'd say, right, once we watch that back, I've got to take my fullbacks and teach them that if somebody makes them, you've got to be aware that they might be making a move in field. Don't watch the ball. So you then coach them. That's the mm. coach's job. But then say, you've made a mistake. This is why you got it wrong. This is how to put it right. But you've then got to appreciate. You can't just say, well, I'll do it nine times out of ten and it'll work. You've got to do it every single time. Mm. So the way that you defend has to change completely. It's defending space and movement when in the past it used to be defending physically against somebody. That's what I was taught when I was 17, 18. Stop crosses coming in, get close to the winger. Don't let him get past you and get crosses in. That was my job. But then you take the winger away. I'd have been in a bit of, well, what, what would I do now? I'm pointless. Well, no, you have to be Just taught. <laughs> well, you would be, because you think, well, isn't that always, well, if that's not your job now, what can you help with? You get yeah. close to sense Then, But then you get taught how to, how to defend differently. Gary Neville wrote, a couple of years ago, wrote a piece in, in, I think it was in the Telegraph, about the lost art of defending. And he said that when he first started playing and as, a, you know, as a widely respected Manchester-born former England fullback, I think we, you know, we're useful to have his input. Yes, it would, we haven't it? got yeah. that sort of calibre around us. Um, is it when he first started playing, sixty or seventy percent of their day to day training was based on defensive techniques. Mm. Whereas now in his role as a coach, he says the split is 80-20 in favour of technical attacking play. Yes. So it's gone completely full circle. So yeah. that's got to be, uh, that's got to have an impact as well, hasn't it? That during the course of any any one week, mm. teams are working more on scoring goals rather than preventing them being scored. But what's probably even more important, I'd, I'd love to know what, what the, the split is in the academies. Because you look at a lot of academy players, mm-hmm. they're kind of identical footballers. It's keeping possession, they're yes, technically yes. neat, it's, it's all lovely to watch, it's all very pretty. I'd love to know how much academy teams are doing on defensive shape week in, week out, because I, I don't think it's a vast Because amount. If, if you're playing 4 2 3 1 and you've got the ball and you're dominating possession as a fullback, you can be on the halfway line looking to move forward because your wide players come infield, you're then encouraged to provide the width. So the coaches may be looking at the fullbacks as being key players in an attacking sense. I just find it strange when they lose the ball and they're running backwards towards their own goal, there doesn't seem any desire to get back, and then there's no desire to actually get hit by the ball and get hurt. Mm. They'd hang a leg out maybe and say, for the ball hits me. But they don't seem to be like, absolutely if that happened and the cross came in the box centre halves the goalkeeper your coach will be saying you've got to stop that happening now it's kind of well if it bypasses me that's your job centre halves to deal with that it's not my job to stop the cross isn't it the training thing is interesting because everybody has been having a go at Manchester City this year because Pep's come in and he's got them playing this attacking football and the defending hasn't been particularly on points well the That's thing a very about polite way of putting it. on mm. point, yes. The, the thing about Pep is that it actually, because he works so much on positional play, he works on it. If the eighty twenty split 
his 80-20 split is there to have the 80% of positional play and that is without the ball so therefore it yeah. is defending yes. so even though his team hasn't been defending at all well and the Monaco game proved once again although it was individual mistakes two of the three certainly um, goals that they conceded it is it is strange to think that he does spend that amount of time on positional play defensive work and he, mm. and he spends sometimes 20 minutes at a time talking to a player about where I need you to be and it's not always with the ball that I need you to be there it's yeah. without the ball because his thing is all about creating space and creating space for the best players in his team and that is half the time without the ball and so therefore it's defensive mm. and actually this whole kind of mythical thing about the high press mm. being an attacking thing it's, it's not the high press is a is a defensive aspect to the game mm. so the most attacking way of playing football that has developed over the last 10 years or so is a basic defensive principle because you are absolutely dead set against and sometimes so fearful of the counter-attack mm -hmm. that you want to win the ball back as quickly and as high up the pitch as possible yeah so to do that you have to instill some sorts of defensive structure which is not just an individual you're talking about all the individual mm -hmm. skills that a defender needs to have mm -hmm. but it is a it's like a team-based strangulation yes of the other team so that is essentially it seems to be anyway the the big difference is that mm -hmm. you you might have an individual task as a fullback mm -hmm. but under these high press teams everybody has a job and they have to do it together well i think that's it back in the day when we were playing 442 it seemed to be that when we lost the ball we would the center forwards wouldn't start the closing down process like say defend from the front the team come in behind which is what happens now win the ball back in the opposition half we used to basically retreat so you fall back to get level with center halves a back four a midfield four you two center forwards they will have lost the ball we'll get back to the halfway line we'll let the opposition have it they'll come on to us then we'll start defending in our own half because that was again the systems that were operating so it's whether the change in systems or whether it's just say we this high press whether that has how long that's been in evidence I don't know how long that's been around but whether it is just new coaches that are brought in and say this is how we want to do it so we need the shape of the team we need the players to understand if we're going to press in the opposition half now this is the way we have to do it this is the formation we have to line up with and contrary to that you've got how do you go against a high press while well, you sit back and counter-attack. Mm -hmm. So that's also a defensive ploy, essentially, isn't it? You have to defend well and then being able to counter-attack. So even in this, this new era of incredibly attacking football, yeah. the two major principles, mm. first of all, the high press principle and the one that best counters it, mm -hmm. are both... They're both defensive yeah, ideas. I, I do think the, the way that the, the teams are lined up normally nowadays, with, with the holding midfield, the advent of the holding midfield, basically what you see a lot happening is the centre-halves will split, the full-backs push on to become wing-backs, and the holding midfielder will, will drop to be kind of come a third centre. So why don't you just play with, with three centre-halves and wing-backs? And then you take all the problems away from the, from the full-backs of actually defending, because half the time there's nobody in there to actually deal with. So you can just start higher up the pitch and stay there. You do have the extra defensive insurance with a midfielder. And that's it. essentially what happens. You have a back four. When you win the ball, fullbacks push on, holding midfielder drops in, you become a back three because you sent a half split, so you basically change into a wing back system when you've got the ball, so why don't you just play that way anyway it just makes a lot more sense Has maybe then defending not become a lost art but perhaps a little bit of an unfashionable one, because the thing that really struck me with the round of 16 Champions League games and all the goals going in, particularly in the, the PSG Barcelona game and the, the Bayern Arsenal game is that there was no sort of sense of rolling your sleeves up okay we're being overawed here but do you know what if we can get away from this perhaps only being two goals behind we're still in the tie they just completely capitulated as though there was no sense of responsibility mm. yes you're being outplayed but was there not a, a thought process of, of digging deep reorganising yourselves and damage limitation that just seemed to go completely out the window almost as though well 
we're not really here to defend. We're just sort of here to to make up the numbers and and, exactly, and, yes. and press forward and, and yeah. close down yeah, space. Yeah. I've never seen Barcelona, who are supposed to be the archetypal high press team. I've never seen them like the second goal that PSG scored. The um, sorry, the third goal, the second Di Maria goal, yeah. where you could just watch it from a high camera. You just go pass out to there, a nice little one-two on the halfway line. Another pass into Angel Di Maria. He cuts inside and he scores. That that should not be able to happen because if you're all pressing as one. There are no spaces, and yet there, it was it was it was like watching a bunch of eight-year-olds play, and that from Barcelona, who are supposed to be the typical like, example of that team who high press and strangulate you, where you can't actually get out of your own half. It's, it's like defending; it has become too much to ask. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I look at it now and felt. say, how many players do you think, if the ball got played across a six-yard box, centre of goal, would bodily throw themselves in the way of a shot coming as in a, on goal? As say, to I'll t- they'll just like you, Steve said. Actually, I'm here to defend, but I'm not going to get hurt. How do you throw yourself in the way of something non? bodily <laughs> you, you know what I mean like John Terry or Vincent Company, yeah, yeah. Pl- Pl- Gary Cahill would Andy throw themselves head first into something yeah. to, to, doesn't matter how what it hits I'd normally go in with a leg because also you think I don't want to get hurt because I'm a pretty boy I don't want to get hurt <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you see players Tony Adams yeah. pl- and people now say well yeah but that was defending from 25 years ago we don't do that yeah but you're conceding more goals because you're not willing to, to actually throw yourself in the way of in the line of fire so at the risk of sounding like a broken record I think this all comes back to, to youth coaching and this is what, like, as a journalist, when you try and write about youth coaching, there's always this sense of, oh, nobody, like, you, you write about, you know, is Pep Guardiola terrible? And you get a million hits, and everyone kind of, kind of says, oh, what a great piece. And the people who agree with you say, it's a brilliant piece. And the people who don't say, oh, you're a terrible journalist. And you try and write about youth coaching, and everyone, oh, you get sort of, oh, good discussion of the issue. And you sort of think, oh, and everyone. Very tell, worthy, well can, done. Yeah, you can tell people think it's really boring. But it's really important because. Vend- You're in a Vend- safe space here if you want to talk about it. Yes, exactly. Vendor's really, really good on this, and that's not a fastable thing to say at the moment. Vendor always says that the <laughs> only places that you get proper strikers and proper centre-halves is South America, and that's because it's in South America, it's on the... St- like, we build all these stupid facilities here, these sort of space-age facilities. They don't have them in Argentina. They don't have, like... They're not, like, Argentinos juniors brought through Maradona, aren't they? They don't have 4G pitches. We're investing $7 million in 4G pitches. They just... It just grows. Mm -hmm. Juan Pablo Angel said that to me once about Columbia. He just said, we don't need facilities. The talent just grows. Grows, yeah. And what those players have, in Vendor's view, and I agree with it, is, is a hunger. And that sounds like one of those horrible, kind of, proper football man, kind of terms that doesn't really mean anything but it's, it's what it you're talking about it it's does that mean desire something. It's bravery yeah. to, to th- that knowledge that you have to put yourself in the way and I, I think if you look at strikers and it makes me laugh when people say oh you know such and such a player with the false nine when what they actually mean at least 50% of the time is he's not a very good striker <laughs> we're playing without a centre forward <laughs> oh, it's a false nine no, we, no, no he's, he's a bad nine yes. that's a different, different thing. thing that's a totally different thing yeah. but if you look at kind of the top strikers Suarez, Cavani players like that they're all South American if you look at the top centre half, Diego Dodin. Where are the Diego Dodins? Mm-hmm. Like he is a proper. But don't you think people look at him and say, "Ah, he's not really modern football." Is That's it? because that's I think they're wrong. His I do hair is wrong. hair is thinning. He doesn't it look is. fashionable. Why are you looking at me when you say that? I don't. I don't do that. You're not fashionable. You don't get like prematurely balding. Like you get shaven headed players. You don't get bald players anymore. Like with like the proper like the, the Atelier Lombardi. Yeah, you don't get Lombardos. No, but if, if you had Lombardos, 
The so other if you had Gadeen or John Stones in your book, who is the best defender? I think if you well, if you wanted me to pick a team, and I, mm. it's not that I don't rate John Stones, Gadeen. Gadeen yeah. is the best defender. You? In Although putting those two together as, that's a, the question, as, as centre backs would be a nice combination, wouldn't it? You get Don't both combinations. I think that's quite clever. There combinations. are some combinations. Jerome Boateng can do both. Jerome Boateng is a. Although he did Jerome Boateng. He didn't used to be able to do Jerome both. Boateng. He learned. He learned how we to do both. As humans, but, but no, but Pep Guardiola made him into a more defensive defender. So here we go. He was capable of doing the other things. Talking to you, non-footballing folk, being a former professional myself, I know the answer to this. What do you consider is or the attributes that a top defender has? So Jerome Boateng or Gadeen, what are they to, good at? What makes them so good? He needs to at least have broken his nose once. Yeah. So he needs to have a wonky nose. Look, you're being stupid. He needs to have thinning hair, but retain it, so not shave it. This is why you never played the game at professional level, <laughs> apart from the fact you're terrible yeah. at football. There's a lot of reasons he didn't play <laughs> oh the game at professional level. Aren't all need, these things true? Positional awareness is the crucial thing. I said that earlier, so you're just taking my words Did now. you say that? Of course I talked about positional awareness. You were, you were eating AS. Was no, so I think positional you need a degree of bravery positional awareness and technical ability that's yeah. really important and preferably pace I guess okay. although it's interesting if you talk to scouts players like Mangala and who's the other one might be Bailey at United the problem with really quick defenders is they allow themselves to get into trouble this is what I was just going to say you see these last ditch tackles and people go what a great bit of defending Terrible I say defending. that isn't good yeah. defending it's because really bad you've defending. allowed a situation yes. to develop that if you're Alan Hansen or Mark Lawrence and you've already read and you've already coaxed somebody into an area that's non-dangerous that's what I always say all the time people say well Brit- no it isn't you've been caught out you've not read the game that properly. thing about Rio Ferdinand very rarely getting booked because he was always in the yeah. right yeah. spot yeah. and also I remember when Micah Richards was coming through at Manchester City mm-hmm. he would he would get all sorts of plaudits for doing exactly that yes. but because he was so incredibly physically capable, yeah. he would get back into position having been well, you get these, out of position. You get previously. these defenders like Mangala, like Otamendi, um, like Michael Richards to a degree, who only see the ball and think, I've got to get to the ball, wherever it is, if it's in the air, if a defender's in the way, uh, attacker's in the way, doesn't make any difference, I'm going to go through him. Well, that's a foul. So that's not defending. Yeah. But And I think fans now appreciate that that isn't defending. So you stay on your feet, you try and win the ball back in the right way, or you coax people into non-dangerous areas. That's proper defending. But is John Terry not the prime example of the defender who built a reputation on last its tackles? That's very, okay very if he's playing alongside Ricardo Carvalho, though. But Carvalho, different, different quality. You can, you can, you can pair those you two get sorts of players reading, together, can't you? Getting behind and doing yeah. the covering work. Whereas yeah. there's, that, there's that stat that apparently, is, there's loads of stats about the AC Milan team that are, are completely untrue. Like Maldini and Baresi only played together 48 times and won all games 10-0. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a minute, Google. That's a, yeah. Chewing the Catanaccio era. The AC Milan echo chamber, I think, that came one, from. There's one about Baresi and the number of tackles he made in his career which is astonishingly low and the, the famous example is Yapstam is Ferdy misreading the Yapstam stats and saying that he'd only made and Ferdy himself admits it's a mistake when he sold Stam he looked at the stats and saw that Stam had only made however many tackles a game and thought well, he's not doing his job anymore whereas in reality Yapstam yeah, didn't yeah. need to make tackles because yeah. yeah, yeah, he was yeah. in the right place I know he's, I know he's a midfielder not a defender but I always thought Michael Carrick is a player who, who fools victim of that especially when like Scott Parker was getting in the England team yeah. of yeah. Michael Carrick and all, yeah but look at Scott Parker he's all action he's everywhere he's flying into tackles it's like yeah, but that's because Michael Carrick is already stood where he needs yes. to be yeah. and is in possession of the ball. He doesn't need to go flying. Isn't that better than somebody having to cover every blade of grass to do the same well, job? Because you understand the game wonderfully, Steve. Yes, that's exactly. why we, we have such an empathy. But most people wouldn't see, like Hugh and Rory, they wouldn't see that. We that's see that. Because we, what? <laughs> made literally the same point. <laughs> I made the point, then you backed it up. So basically you've taken my point and ran with it, which is, which is unfair. Wyeth has hmm. for, long, for a long time been 
a Carrick apologist, so that's that's not apologist. No, I don't think But he's right, though, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. Well, about depending that. on whether he's played well or not. I Are you he's, a been, he's been criminally underused the, at international mm. level. The tackling thing is interesting because you remember back in December, I think Manchester City lost four two at Leicester City, and they didn't make a a tackle or didn't win a fifty fifty challenge for the first thirty minutes or whatever it was. They were three 0 down already, and and Pep afterwards said. Um, I'm, I'm not a manager who coaches tackles. We don't spend time thinking about tackling. And I think his point was what we've mm. just been saying. It's because if you're positionally correct, you mm. shouldn't need to make challenges but you, like that or tackles yeah. because he was referring to the kind of thing that we would look with, with your with your Sean Dyche voice. Tackles. That was a Jerry Taggart voice. <laughs> Started off being Cockney, <laughs> now he's from Dorset. You mentioned Paolo Maldini is the architect. He had absolutely everything. He was brave, he could tackle, he could read the game, he could he play a variety of positions. He, he was, was handsome. gorgeous as well. Broke his nose zero the, times. The perfect defender, whether it be 50 years ago, 30 years ago, today, Paolo Maldini was it. End of. End of. There's one of the and a left back too, which is well, it should mention in sort of tribute to Chinch, the sort of Andy Hinchcliffe memorial mention, which is. <laughs> Fullback now. Not dead. When yet? Chinch, when you were a child, a oh god, I don't want to go back there. A wide-eyed, big-chinned child. Had <laughs> <laughs> trouble standing up. So which which features haven't grown during your life? Oh really? You're going to go down that road, are you? The, oh right. Were you always a fullback? Uh, I played in midfield, played on the left-hand side of midfield, but I didn't have a trick. Okay. I didn't have a step over. I, I just naturally you tend to that's what tends to happen doesn't yeah. it wide players who, who aren't really wide players end up then playing as fullbacks and then when wingbacks came in perfect yeah. because you can do a bit of defending but also you can get forward which is what I wanted to do but now and Antonio Valencia is a brilliant example of this mm-hmm. I remember Antonio Valencia the sort of what, sort of wispish winner at Wigan and Antonio Valencia has now become a tank of a right fullback I'd always rather hard I'd always rather if I'm, I'm a left back I'd rather play against Valencia as a wide right hand sided player because I don't think really he's, got, he's strong and he's quick but he's not really going to cause you yeah. if he is even an attacking fullback whole different he gives you a whole different well it's the Danny Alves thing isn't it mm. but there's a huge attacking benefit to that of taking a winner and playing him a fullback if you look at someone like Alexandro at Juventus who's, who just flies forward but there is there is a defensive payoff. You you have to Juventus not that long ago were playing Giorgio Chiellini, Chiellini at left back they had a spell of playing Chiellini at left back mm. I bet he blocked a cross. Mm. <laughs> Whereas Alexandro, probably less likely to, to be well, honest. I suppose what you can do, if you have those wingers playing as fullbacks who then are encouraged to push on with the holding midfielder and your centre-halves, but you've always got three who probably want to do a bit of defending. So if you do get caught on the counter-attack and, and players are coming streaming at you, you've probably got more reliable defenders there. You don't really want your wing-backs who aren't really that keen on getting back and tackling anyway. You've always got the extra insurance of the, of the well, holding midfielder. Premier League, where the, last two, the champions this year and the champions last year are the two teams that can defend, not the teams that defend the best. going to say exactly the same thing in this, in the, again, again, in this era. Taking people's points of running with well, actually, I had, it, I had it written down, but well, uh, let's not see. That's that's he's, been, he's been typing away furiously throughout. Well, so he says. I can't see yeah, the evidence. All, all I managed to There's say no is Chelsea, Chelsea are top of the league. Why? We've got Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. We've got mm. Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. Even Eddie Howe, you're trying to copy this way of playing. Mm. But, the, but the team that's top of the league are Chelsea and the team that won the, won the league absolutely last year had N'Golo Kante, which is the player that yes. you're absolutely referring yeah, to. Absolutely. Being that yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Che- no, but Chelsea have two. Does Chelsea play Kante and Matic? Somebody, somebody made, my neighbour Tom, in fact, made, made the point to me last night, he was an Arsenal fan, that every other team, if you have two men in midfield, plays one attacking, one defensive. Chelsea just play two defensive and don't concede. Dogs. And then you've got Alonso and Moses but you, just yeah, being yeah, you've yeah, got yeah, those two. They attack with three or four players, that's yes. it. Yeah. And if they're good enough, you can do that. Yeah. When, when Conte was in charge at Juventus, he actually said, the team that wins the league 
is the team that concedes the fewest number of goals, not the team that scores mm. the most goals. So he's obviously carried that, that theory through to Chelsea. And if you have a, a quick look, Premier League, top goal scorers, Arsenal and Liverpool, not going to win the league. In Italy, it's Napoli, well, they're not going to win the league. In La Liga, it's Barcelona. It's a bit touch and go. The only two countries where the top scorers are also top of the league is in France where it's Monaco who scored an insane number yeah, of goals yes. and, and in Germany where it's game. Bayern but Bayern always score more yeah. goals and concede fewer than everyone else anyway so it Eddie Howe's a brilliant this, we, we, we don't have time for this but Eddie Howe's a brilliant example great manager don't have a problem with him Bournemouth can't defend Bournemouth just cannot defend they give up forget the number of goals they give up so many chances the funny thing linking Eddie Howe with Arsenal is that it may well be that Arsenal get 20 more years of the same yeah, exactly stuff the same thing. that's been going on <laughs> the problem there is that Eddie Howe has copied that or not copied he's been inspired by that high press that passing style but the players he's got aren't good enough to do it so we always talk whenever we have this conversation about oh, you know Barcelona can't defend or Arsenal can't defend these are their top top class players with all due respect mm-hmm. Steve Cook and Simon Francis aren't top, this top is, class this players this is the thing when championship teams come up to the Premier yeah. League this is when the art of defending and movement around you causes you so many problems because you're so used to playing against teams in the championship who play maybe with two up front and you can just play up against somebody the Premier League totally different because the movement off the ball is what destroys and you and the quality and the quality absolutely week in and week out and that's what catches out defenders and if you're trying to play this you know possession based game where you're going to press once you get caught on the counter these players aren't used to playing against pace and movement and that's what that's why they concede so many goals the academy point is interesting because as well you go back to the academies and you think how many of these forwards number 10 strikers are being produced because that is the way that football is being played but it's also a pretty cool position to want to play in and if you're capable technically you'll play one of those in inverted commas forwards um how many players are there being coached up as being centre-backs or, or defenders because you think about it now if you we did an exercise didn't we thinking about the top 100 players in the world not that many were defenders is there actually a lack of high quality defenders and that is pervading but is, in is top it teams because being way, able yeah. to defend is it because the way teams play dominating if you want more than 65% of the ball then the opposition are going to sit back so actually you don't need a back four so what's the point in teaching kids to play fullbacks and stop crosses where they're not up against anybody and actually most of the time you're going to have the ball so you're going to be on the halfway line so maybe it's just the way that the game is developed and the way that the game is played is that actually the, the demands on fullbacks or centaurs whatever you want to call them has completely changed so maybe the coaching of young players it's very different. Well, defending might be a lost art, but talking about it certainly isn't. Um, well done, everybody. We're going to go now to what would normally be, never mind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. But for Andrew Hinchcliffe, um, today we have something special. And thank you to everybody for starting that movement on the internet. I don't know whether sweeping was necessarily the correct term, but let's put ourselves up. Flurry. Are there other general questions we could all get involved in? No, it's all specific. Hashtag Ask Oh, really? So once again, the hashtag is Ask Chinch. Please do get in touch. We'll do these sporadically. Every so often, uh, we'll try and... I don't um, want appeals for money, or if I owe them 20 quid from the start. We don't want anything like that, do we? You can give them to me, and I'll pass them. Okay. Uh, So Steve, as our social media correspondent and marketing department, uh, can now uh, reveal... Just uh, three or four of the yeah. Ask Chinch questions mm. that have come into us yeah. on at Set Piece Menu. I think it's, it, it feels fair to start with Mark Holmes, who set the ball rolling. And thank it you, was Mark. He, it was he who conjured up the Ask Chinch hashtag as well, so thank no, you, Mark. No money will be forthcoming. He, uh, he, he, he asks, good question, this, uh, this Chinch. Yeah. Who was the maddest, Paolo Di Canio <laughs> or the Sheffield Wednesday physio who passed your medical? Oh, hang on a minute. Actually, this is, I went to have a medical at Sheffield. I was injured, and they knew I was injured. I Achilles problem. They, have you seen these VO2 max exercises yeah, they yeah. do? Where they put in a treadmill with the face mask. I'd never done them before. I thought VO2 was a hair product. 
That's VO5. Oh, is it? Why yeah. do you get involved why, in Why this? do you know that out of all of us? Why do you get involved in the big boys talk? Oh, you just make a fool of yourself, Ouch. don't you? So they put me on the, and I said, you know, I'm clearly injured, so, but with treatment and everything else, I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be fine. We'll do the VO2. Why? And they ran me into the ground. My Achilles nearly fell off. And then I said, I'm really struggling now. So I did after about 10 minutes. I came off. And I said, well, I'm in bloody agony here. So they said, oh, well, at least you're okay. Your lungs are okay. The strangest thing to do. <laughs> and then they still signed so me. So your l- lungs are okay, yes. but your body's falling apart. Oh, he's got a nice pair of lungs on him. <laughs> oh, oh, he's got a great engine. No, Dave Galley was a wonderful... He knew his stuff, that lad. Was it Dave Galley? Actually, Dr Higgins. I keep seeing him regularly because we do Sheffield Wednesday games on Sky on the uh, on the championship. Yeah, we do. And uh, the doc's still there, and we still have a chuckle about my memorial treatment table. Did, so we're saying that Paolo de Cagney was... Paolo was, Paolo was wonderfully mad. Uh, Jonathan Grieve asks, uh, other than yourself, who is the owner of football's greatest conk? <laughs> what? I don't think there's anybody else even but challenging I've, you see, that The title. difference is I've got the conk-chin combo. <laughs> ah, you see, people have one or the other. I've got both you're, on the You're goal. like a goalkeeper who can stop shots, but also yeah. be the first did, line in an attacking chain Did Carl Molden from the streets of San Francisco ever play football? Because he had a horrible conk, <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> Who else? Who great conks? Footballing well, conks, Steve, Rory. Come Steve on. Bruce is now excellent. Some, yeah. after There's the, not there's much left of his, though, is there? It's all over the shop, isn't For it? For some reason, yeah. Andrea Selenzi's name is. Andrea Selenzi. Oh, he had a huge he conker, a really didn't he? Did yeah. Italia Lombardo have a big conk? No, not really. No, just not really. Alan, Alan Smith. We've mentioned him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang My on. Sky colleague, Alan Smith. Yeah. Maybe it's a prerequisite for Very careful what you say now, Steve. I love Alan Smith. He's an excellent co-commentator, isn't he? Really is. He really is the best. Listen, we've gone off point here. <laughs> big co- who's got big Next on the hashtag final, final one for today. This yeah, is yeah. potentially the full podcast in this one. Mm. What's the biggest animal you think you could single-handedly cling film to a goalpost? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer's not allowed to be is Neville it dead? <laughs> That's It's not specified, actually. Oh, let's go alive. But it, it had the arch-trinch hashtag. The biggest so animal I could single-handedly cling film to a goalpost. Who's this from? We should give him a name. Oh, so this is from Blessed With Pace on Twitter. So could it be slumped on the... Or does it have to be... All up on the goalpost. There's only 140 characters. Because obviously tigers are quite heavy and a lot of them will be on the ground. Tigers half a ton is it's never going to happen. What do you mean? Near a tiger. Not a live one. I'd stun it first. You're still not lifting it up against the goalpost. I don't think alarms are quite nasty. They spit a lot, don't they? Rottweiler, as long as it was stunned, I could probably get it. That's quite heavy, though, isn't it? I'd start with a parrot, budgie, and work upwards. Would the parrot be dead? We could upset a lot of people here, you know. Animal rights people aren't like this. You can't cling film animals up to a what? Chinch. Maybe don't eagle because eagle. Their well, wingspan like, is massive, but the body itself isn't that big. It depends whether we're thinking about. It didn't say wingspan, did it? Maybe Animal with the biggest wingspan. If you, to, if you could encourage a, an eagle to hug a post, then maybe just quickly dive in there and cling film. And, it. It, and if you do it How at do Benfica, you? Lazio, or Crystal Palace, ah, the eagle is readily available. Yes. Can, I, can I make a confession? I am a 34-year-old man. I have a tertiary education, and I do not know how to use slim film. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know how to use it? I understand the principle. It. I just can't do it. it oh, you mean, you mean you haven't got the, the motor skills to be able to... It's just ridiculous. Just, the only thing slim film clings to is itself. It's really annoying. I think I that's why you've got the thing I wrap everything in foil. Out. Yeah, how can you, you not use cling film? The problem with cling film is you, you, you take a logical... I take a sort of logical approach to it and take as much cling film as I think I'm going to need to yeah. cover the surface well, area. Wrong, but actually, you need about three times as much. See, if you've got the plate of pan chocolate, you take it over then break it don't break it and then try yeah, and cover it because that's when it all folds on itself yeah. that's why you've got the doodah with the serrated doodah 
Yeah? Yeah, but the, the doodah oh. with the serrated doodah yeah. always falls off. No, it doesn't. Doesn't it? I don't know what quality of... Cl- anyway, we've got off the subject to get Koala Bear. <laughs> koala Bear wouldn't stand a chance against me, would it? Sloth. Hashtag Ask Chinch. Please do keep them coming. At Set Piece Menu. Uh, that will be enough uh, for today. We've got uh, at least one and a half cinnamon rolls to be getting through. Rory has polished off, I think, about three. I can't eat. No, I've had one cinnamon swirl and I've had a pan of chocolate. All oh, right, fine. okay. Well, I can't eat while I'm broadcasting. You've done very, very well to at least um, do it. When you started broadcasting. <laughs> Please do subscribe, share and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Also, do follow us on Twitter at Set Piece Menu. Thank you to Steve, Rory and Andy and to you for listening, everyone. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy uh, very soon. My broadcasting levels have meant that I haven't had any cinnamon swell, so I'm going to pile into it right now. Rory was talking about how his brother in Lisbon had been mm. listening to the podcast yeah. uh, earlier. My brother, who lives slightly less glamorously just outside Milton Keynes, has also mm. been, uh, harsh been listening to the uh, <laughs> to the podcast and you think you know you think you know a man you know you've been brothers for 37 years uh, now you think you know you know most things about them and they speak generally uh, good common sense he said he really enjoyed the first few episodes he'd listened to but just do you know what do you know what it is though what, what it is about it there's a glue that holds the whole thing together and I thought oh here we go he's about to reveal himself Ferris yeah. Chinch. Oh, no. Andy what? Hinchcliffe what? is the glue that holds set piece menu together I won't have that. my brother I won't have that I'm, no, I'm no longer taking his calls, as you can imagine. Andy Hinchcliffe is the same glue that we had to edit out a section of the podcast earlier because he took an almighty bite out of the largest strawberry. So we're going to end the programme today mm. with them. Um, this is are you eating my cinnamon roll? I did, yes, by accident. Sorry. I, I've got a brother. He Why didn't, didn't speak to me, so I can't add anything to that. <laughs> let's, let's, let's finish with a large bite out of a, out of a strawberry. What do you want me to do? Eat the strawberry. Do it sexually. Do it sexually. I can't do it sexually. Do it like you're an M&S advert. No, stop it. I have to look away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chief gets is, all bashful. That is juicy. That is juicy. Man alive, that's juicy.